This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. Good morning, I'm John Trout. It's Friday, February 2nd, 2024. Here's what's coming up on America in the Morning. The mother of Ethan Crumbly takes the stand in Michigan. You need to go see a psychiatrist. I'm Clayton Neville. The Biden administration has taken a rare step against its closest Mideast ally, Sagar Magani, Washington. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement have arrested 171 people in a major national operation. I'm Lisa Dwyer. President Biden travels to Michigan to celebrate his United Auto Workers endorsement. I was so damn proud to stand in that picket line with you. Jennifer King, Washington. A rally for stocks to start February trading. Investors this morning are waiting for the January jobs report. I'm Jessica Ettinger. A new poll says U.S. adults are feeling a little better about the economy, but it's not boosting the president's popularity. Donna Porter, Washington. All ahead on America in the Morning. Saying she doesn't think she's a failure as a parent, the mother of the Michigan high school student who killed four classmates in 2021 testified in her trial yesterday as she faces charges for what her son did. Correspondent Clayton Neville has a follow-up. Jennifer Crumley's charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. She and her husband James are accused of ignoring their son Ethan's mental health and of buying him a gun before the Oxford high school shooting. Ethan Crumley shot and killed four students at Oxford High. While testifying in court this week, Jennifer Crumley described her relationship with her son. I thought we were pretty close. Um, we would talk. We would, I mean, we did a lot of things together. Um, I trusted him, and I felt like I had an open door and he can come to me about anything. I mean, I felt, I felt as a family, we were, we were the three of us really close. Prosecutors asked Crumbly about text messages sent to her by her son, including one of a picture of a demon. Others describing their home as haunted. She wrote it off as Ethan messing with her. Ethan has expressed anxiety over taking tests, um, anxiety about what he was going to do after high school, whether it was college, uh, military. Other than that, though, she says she didn't have serious concerns about Ethan's mental health. So he expressed those those concerns to me. Um, but not not to a level where I felt he needed to go see a psychiatrist or a mental health professional right away. Jennifer Crumley's trial so far has brought testimony from teachers and school administrators. Videos also been shown of the Crumley's first interview with police after the Oxford school shooting. I'm Clayton Neville. CBS News is reporting that U.S. officials have confirmed plans have been approved for a series of strikes over a number of days against targets, including Iranian personnel and facilities inside Iraq and Syria. The Pentagon is signaling this significant response to Iran-backed militias that continue firing on U.S. forces and ships in the Middle East. As Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports, this comes as the Biden administration has taken a rare step against its closest Mideast ally. President Biden has issued an executive order sanctioning four Israeli settlers accused of attacking Palestinians in the West Bank. This is a direct answer to the dramatic increase in violence that we've seen by settlers on Palestinians in the West Bank since the 7th of October. The move comes months after he'd said the violence was pouring gas on Mideast fires. It has to stop. 
that have to be held accountable. The administration says the settler violence poses a grave threat to Mideast security and stability and also undermines U.S. foreign policy, calling for a two-state solution. It's got to stop. It's unacceptable. It's a, it's a detriment to peace and security, uh, certainly there in the West Bank, but to the Palestinian people in general. The sanctions come as the president faces growing criticism for his strong backing of Israel in the Hamas war, with civilian casualties mounting. We've not described what our, what our response is going to be, uh, but we look to hold the people uh, that are responsible for this accountable. And we also look to make sure that uh, we continue to take away capability from them as we go forward. Previous strikes have not deterred the attacks. Now, after a drone attack killed three American soldiers in Jordan. At this point, uh, we, we should, uh, it's time to, uh, to take away even more capability than we've taken in the past. Yemen's Houthi rebels have kept up attacks in the Red Sea. And Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says while some militias claim they're stopping hostilities under fear of retaliation. I don't think the, uh, the adversaries are of a one-and-done mindset. Uh, and so uh, they have a lot of capability. I have a lot more. Sagar Magani, Washington. Biden denounced by members of Michigan's large Arab-American community. That story, When America in the Morning continues after these messages. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. More rain possible in the West. Welcome back. This is America in the Morning with a check of the national forecast. Here's AccuWeather.com meteorologist Brian Thompson. Today will be a bit of a break between storm systems across California. We had some heavy rain yesterday that brought one to three inches of rain to the L.A. basin. Uh, but today, really just some spotty showers across much of California. A lot of the steadier precipitation shifting eastward into the Four Corners region where there will be some rain and some mountain snow. Some spotty showers across much of the Pacific. Pacific Northwest as well. The next storm aimed at California will be later this weekend from Sunday into Monday and Tuesday. An atmospheric river event could lead to even heavier rain than what we saw yesterday. The potential for more flooding, mudslides, potentially some strong winds too. We're going to keep a close eye on that as we head into the weekend and into early next week. Uh, but farther east, uh, the, the potential for some severe thunderstorms today across the Red River Valley from Oklahoma City down toward uh, Dallas, potentially even toward Austin and San Antonio's 
we head into tonight. And then from the northern plains to the upper Midwest, still wondering where winter is. We had that cold snap a few weeks ago, but it's high temperatures back into the 30s and 40s today. It's going to be mainly dry for the Great Lakes through the Tennessee and the lower Mississippi Valley. Much of the southeast is going to be dry today. In the northeast, just some very spotty uh, snow and rain showers around the northeast. Uh, for Groundhog Day festivities in Punxsutawney this morning, we're expecting maybe a stray flurry, but temperatures not bad in the mid-30s to start off this Groundhog Day. But most of the northeast will be dry today, and we'll see more sunshine into the weekend. And that's the weather across America. In Salt Lake City today, periods of rain, high 46. In Rochester, New York today, rather cloudy with a snow shower around high 36. At Sedation's Weather, I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Brian Thompson. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. I'm John Trout. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement have arrested 171 non-citizens deemed a public safety risk in a major national operation with infractions ranging from assault to child sex charges and even murder. Lisa Dwyer reports. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Deputy Director Patrick Lechtleitner announced that ICE arrested scores of potentially dangerous non-citizens over 11 days in 25 cities. Places where unlawfully present non-citizens were moving freely after being accused or convicted of truly heinous crimes were threatening our peace and security in the United States. And? Of those, 103 had convictions or pending charges for assaulting or for assault against children, including sexual assault, and 10 had pending charges or convictions of homicide or murder. And he says that funding uncertainty is an issue. The reality, we have limited resources, so we prioritize within our priorities, and national security and public safety threats are those top priorities. I'm Lisa Dwyer. President Biden campaigned in Michigan to celebrate his United Auto Workers endorsement. As correspondent Jennifer King reports, however, members of the state's large Arab American community were not happy with the president's visit. I was so damn proud to stand in that picket line with you. UAW President Sean Fain announced the union's Biden campaign endorsement at a conference in Washington last Wednesday. Joe Biden bet on the American worker while Donald Trump blamed the American worker. Biden returned Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania to the Democratic column in 2020, and the campaign is hoping for a big turnout. The president's Michigan trip schedule includes meetings with union auto workers, but not Arab American groups. Dearborn, Michigan Mayor Abdullah Hamoud declined a meeting last week with Biden campaign advisors, calling it dehumanizing to focus on the upcoming election when people in his community are losing family members in the war in Gaza. Meanwhile, Republican frontrunner Donald Trump met with members of the Teamsters Union on Wednesday and outreach to blue-collar voters who supported him in 2016. The Teamsters, I think, support me. Now, I don't know if the top people will support me. We're going to have to find that out. Trump acknowledged a Teamsters endorsement was unlikely. Stranger things have happened. Jennifer King, Washington. A check on unemployment numbers this Jobs Friday when America in the Morning continues after these messages.
Welcome back. You're with America in the Morning. Fitness retailer Peloton is riding a treadmill that's going down rather than up. Their stock lost close to a quarter of its value Thursday after it warned investors they're still months away from growing sales or turning a profit. Peloton was a darling during the pandemic with people forced to stay home. Their businesses soared. But when people went back to the office and back to the gym, sales soured. Once a company with a valuation of over $50 billion just a few years ago, Peloton's market value now is only $1.5 billion. Here's CNBC's Jessica Ettinger with Friday Business. Wall Street opens this morning after a rally yesterday to start February trading. Investors seem to accept that the Fed is not cutting interest rates anytime soon. The market is actually catching up with uh, what the Fed is saying. You know, uh, you know, that March rate cut is unlikely, right? So we think it's actually more closer right. to June. And that makes perfect sense. Pivotal's Tiffany McGee on CNBC. It is a jobs Friday today. Investors getting set for the January employment report from the Labor Department. It's a very complex job market. Uh, I think the layoffs in tech, company like Salesforce that announces that they're laying off 700 people are still hiring a thousand other people. I think there's still this notion of if I need to come up with really good earnings, uh, the fastest way to do that was really to lay off staff and to uh, reduce my overall operating expenses. Recruiter.com's Evan Sohn on CNBC. The unemployment rate is sitting at 3.7 percent right now. That's near a 50-year low. It's forecast to perhaps pop up to 3.9 percent, which would still be very low. The report will be out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. Investors coming through quarterly results that came after the closing bell last night from Apple, Facebook parent Meta, and Amazon. Amazon beat expectations. So did Facebook parent Meta. Meta will pay a dividend for the first time. And there's a theme that's probably going to impact shares of all of these. Everyone wants to see where AI is showing up. There's been a couple of quarters now where AI has been in focus for people ever since kind of chat GPT came into the lexicon for the average person. Albion's Jason Ware on CNBC. Meantime, Amazon announced a new generative AI-powered conversational shopping experience. It's called Rufus. It'll be trained to answer customer questions about the products it's selling. Luxury brand Ferrari doesn't seem to be hurting in this economy. Well, Ferrari, the company, is doing great. Shares zoomed higher 12% yesterday. The CEO is saying there is no sign that the wealthy are slowing down on buying their Ferraris. They're going to launch their first EV in 2025. Also, news that Lewis Hamilton, the rock star of Formula One, may be joining Scuderia Ferrari in 2025. If there's any category that is immune to just about any economic shock or even concern, it's people who buy $300,000 sports cars <laughs> as their 12th or 13th car. CNBC's Robert Frank. On today's watch list, along with the January employment report from the Labor Department, we get quarterly results. Big ones. ExxonMobil, Chevron, Bristol-Myers, Squibb, and Cigna. If three is your lucky number, the Mega Millions jackpot is $333 million tonight. New in theaters, Universal's action thriller, Argyle. Universal is a sister company to CNBC. Thank you, Jessica. CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. When we return on America in the Morning, swatting officials make a major bust after these messages.
You're with America in the Morning. A 17-year-old high schooler is being charged as an adult in connection with a large number of swatting incidents. Correspondent Linda Kenyon has that story. Swatting. That's when someone makes a false report to police with the intention of luring them to a location by saying a violent crime has taken place or is in progress. It's no joke. As Alan Fillion has learned, he's been extradited from California to Florida, where he'll face charges of making a false police report about a mass shooting at a Seminole County mosque. But that's just one of many incidents Fillion allegedly carried out. In fact, police say he is a serial swatter for hire, believed to be responsible for hundreds of swatting incidents and bomb threats throughout the country. Incidents of swatting have been multiplying in recent years, with some of the most high-profile targets including U.S. Senators, the Supreme Court, schools, even the White House. Most recently, Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley was swatted twice in two days. In Seminole County, where Alan Fillion is being charged, Sheriff Dennis Lemma released a statement. It reads, Swatting is a perilous and senseless crime. It puts innocent lives in dangerous situations and drains valuable resources. Lindy Kenyon, Washington. A new poll says while Americans are feeling much better about the economy, it's not giving any high marks for the president's popularity. Correspondent Donna Warder reports. 35% of U.S. adults who answered the poll, conducted by the Associated Press and the Nork Center for Public Affairs Research, call the national economy good. That's an uptick from late last year's 30% and the 24% from a year ago. While 65% still call the economy poor, that's an improvement from the 75% who called it poor a year ago. And even though stocks have recently been near record highs, economic growth has accelerated and inflation has returned closer to the Federal Reserve's 2% target, the poll gives President Joe Biden an only 38% approval rating. His approval rating on handling the economy is 35%. Donna Water, Washington. America in the Morning for Friday, February 2nd, 2024, is produced by Jeff McKay, senior producer Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. I'm John Trout. Coming up this half hour. Florida sending help to Texas's southern border. I'm Clayton Neville. A key House Republican says he's a no on impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas. I'm John Stolness in Washington. Mother Nature is letting California have it. I'm Rita Foley. Pentagon Chief Lloyd Austin says he screwed up by keeping his prostate cancer diagnosis from the White House. Sagar Magani, Washington. Ten Oregon Republican senators who staged a long walkout won't be able to run for re-election. I'm Haya Panjwani. A new spy comedy is clawing its way into theaters this weekend. I'm Kevin Carr. Plus updates on a Florida plane crash, bitter cold in Alaska, and California prison uprising. Back after these messages. This is America in the Morning, and, well, we've turned the page on the calendar. AccuWeather.com meteorologist Brian Thompson is in with the Friday forecast. 
February has picked up pretty much where January left off across much of the northern plains outside of that one round of extreme cold in the middle of the month. Uh, we did get pretty mild again toward the end of January in the northern plains, and that's pretty much what we're going to be seeing more of today. High temperatures in the 30s and 40s across the Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Temperatures running well above average for this time of year, and even through the Great Lakes, uh, still on the mild side as well. Uh, we're going to see a mainly dry day from the uh, northern plains to the Great Lakes. Across the northeast today, of a cold front moving on through could still touch off a, a stray rain or snow shower in parts of New England, even into portions of uh, New York and New Jersey. But uh, those uh, showers of rain and snow will be pretty spotty today. A lot of the time is going to be dry. Now, as high pressure builds in, we'll see a lot of sunshine build into the Northeast for the weekend, something we haven't seen a whole lot of over the last week and a half or so. Across the Southeast today looks dry and uh, pleasantly mild. High temperatures will be in the 60s to near 70, but there is some rain coming uh, toward the Southeast as we get into the weekend. Potential for some strong storms today in the Red River Valley, parts of North Texas too. Those will continue to slide east into tonight. Now west getting pretty active. We'll have some rain and some snow uh, in some of the mountains across the Four Corners region into portions of the Rockies. And we're going to see some spotty showers across California today, but a bit of a break in general from from some of the heavy rain we saw yesterday. But there's going to be another batch of some heavy rain and the potential for flooding and mudslides again as we get later on into the weekend into early next week. And just some spotty showers today across the Pacific Northwest should generally be pretty quiet across the interior. That's the nation's weather. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Brian Thompson. Remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. I'm John Trout. The state of Texas is receiving support from Republican governors across the nation as its legal battle with the federal government surrounding the southern border plays out. From the Lone Star State, correspondent Clayton Neville reports. Texas says it's doing what the federal government won't do by protecting its southern border from a surge of immigration. State Guard members are laying razor wire, making arrests and using other deterrents at the border. 25 Republican governors have voiced support for Texas's approach, including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's sending help to Texas. We're providing up to one battalion of Florida National Guard, uh, as well as uh, our first ever deployment of the Florida State Guard. DeSantis says it's critical to protect our borders. I want to be helpful with them doing that. I don't want to be part of the federal government trying to tear down these barriers and let more people in illegally. This is crazy that this is the case. Texas claims it has the sovereign right to defend its border if the federal government won't. DeSantis laying blame directly on the Biden administration. Biden has the authority to close this border today if he wanted to. He lacks the will to get the job done. The president contends the border issues need to be fixed in Congress. Lawmakers working on possible solutions, but nothing sent to the president's desk yet. Congressman Michael Burgess of Texas says there's a number of angles to border security. By adding specific criminal and immigration consequences for individuals who operate motor vehicles while fleeing Border Patrol and law enforcement agencies. As for a more broad approach, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said a bill that would send more money to Ukraine and address the southern border will be made public this weekend and considered on Capitol Hill next week. I'm Clayton Neville. 
The House of Representatives is expected to bring two articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to the floor next week, but they may not have the votes to impeach him. John Stolnes has that story from Washington. With a razor-thin majority, Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson speaking on the House floor, imploring his fellow Republicans to vote in favor of impeaching the embattled Biden administration cabinet official. He is the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. It's his responsibility to prevent these harmful drugs from flowing into our country and to secure that border. And he's done nothing of the sort. However, despite passing along party lines in the Homeland Security Committee 11 to 8 early Wednesday morning, Republican Congressman Ken Buck telling MSNBC why he will be one of the few and maybe the only Republican to vote no. This is not a high crime or misdemeanor. It's not an impeachable offense. This is a policy difference. Um, let me, from the outset, say there is a crisis on the border. Uh, the, the law needs to be enforced. Um, but uh, if we start going down this path of impeachment, with a uh, cabinet official, uh, we are opening a door as Republicans that we don't want to open. The next president, who is a Republican, will face the same scrutiny from Democrats. It's wrong, and, and we should not set this precedent. If everyone in the House is present for a vote, Republicans can only afford to lose two members of their caucus or the articles will not pass. Democrat Dan Goldman on MSNBC says it's crazy to impeach a Homeland Security secretary who's working with Democrats and Republicans on a border solution right now. They are trying to impeach Secretary Mayorkas for <laughs> failing to secure the border while he is negotiating a deal in the Senate, a bipartisan deal designed to secure and address the issues at the border. The irony, Joe, is beyond any comprehension. Three other Republicans have been non-committal on a vote. If Republican Steve Scalise returns from cancer treatments to vote, the GOP can lose three members and still send the articles of impeachment on to the democratically controlled Senate for an election year trial. John Stolnes, Washington. Several people are dead after a small plane crashed into a mobile home park in Clearwater, Florida. At least three homes had fire damage when the Beechcraft Bonanza V-35, which reported an engine failure, fell from the sky. Authorities will hold a news conference later this morning to update the situation. Mother Nature's letting California have it. A meteorological double whammy is pounding the West Coast with heavy rain and mountain snow, heightening the flood risk for millions of people. And when this storm ends, a second massive storm will move back into the Golden State Sunday into Monday. Rita Foley has the latest. The fierce weather is a significant threat to the safety of Californians, according to a state emergency services official. Back-to-back -back storms, fierce storms, powerful rain and gusty winds started hitting the San Francisco Bay Area last night. The Los Angeles and San Diego areas are getting heavy rain today. The central California coast could see waves up to 18 feet high today and tomorrow. And forecasters predict an even more powerful storm on Sunday. The National Weather Service's Bob Orovec. Late Sunday afternoon into Monday, another storm system will be directing additional high levels of moisture into California. So uh, some of the details are still the, to be resolved, but definitely a trend towards another round of heavy precipitation. California's got personnel and equipment now in areas most at risk from the weather. I'm Rita Foley. 
As those storms move through California, the 49th state is dealing with a cold wave. Anchorage, Alaska hit a low of minus 17 degrees. It was minus 40 in Talkeetna, just north of Anchorage, and the state's most populated city has already had 100 inches of snow, closing in on an all-time record. Some residents in Anchorage are taking the deep freeze and avalanche of snow in stride. It'll be sunny today in Anchorage. Don't expect the snow to melt off with a daytime high of only minus 8. Tomorrow, though, will warm up when temperatures hit a high of just 2 degrees above zero with more snow expected Sunday. When we return on America in the Morning, Pentagon chief admits his mistake and billionaire visionary snubs the state of Delaware. Those stories and more when America in the Morning continues after these messages. I'm John Trout. You're with America in the Morning. Pentagon Chief Lloyd Austin says he screwed up by keeping his prostate cancer diagnosis and hospitalization from the White House. Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports. We did not handle this right, and I did not handle this right. Austin says the diagnosis shook him. It was a gut punch. And as a self-described pretty private guy, his first instinct was to keep it private. I was being treated for prostate cancer. The news shook me. And I know that it shakes so many others, especially in the black community. And frankly, my first instinct was to keep it private. I should have informed my boss. I did not. That was a mistake. And he's apologized to the president. I should have told the president about my cancer diagnosis. I should have also told my team and the American public. And I take full responsibility. I apologize to my teammates and to the American people. Still, Austin insists he never told his staff to keep his hospitalization a secret from the White House. And I never directed anyone to keep my January hospitalization from the White House. The mere fact that Austin laid out the details was notable. He rarely appears in the Pentagon briefing room and mostly avoids reporters when possible. But for more than a half hour, Austin answered questions and even joked a few times. A private man who has learned a lesson. I don't think it's news that I'm a pretty private guy. I never like uh, burdening others with my problems. It's just not my way. But I've learned from this experience. So taking this kind of job means losing some of the privacy that most of us expect. Sagar Magani, Washington. Eight corrections officers and an incarcerated man were injured in a riot involving around 200 inmates in the recreational yard of a Southern California prison. The violence erupted as officers were escorting an inmate across the yard as part of a contraband investigation at Ironwood State Prison in Blythe, according to the California Department of Corrections. The prisoners rushed the guards with fists and rocks. Prison officials report 30 of the inmates were identified as having involvement in the riot. There were no serious injuries. America in the Morning continues. Following a loss in court, Elon Musk wants Tesla investors to vote to move the company's corporate listing from Delaware to Texas. Correspondent Donna Warder reports. 
Musk writes on his social media platform X that Tesla will hold an immediate shareholder vote on whether the company should transfer where it's incorporated from Delaware to Texas. This after a Delaware court ruled Tuesday that Musk was not entitled to a landmark compensation package potentially worth more than $55 billion that was awarded by Tesla's board of directors. Musk took to social media to poll ex-users on whether Tesla should be incorporated in Texas instead of Delaware. Musk says that more than 87 percent of those polled said yes, and he recommended incorporating in Texas or Nevada if, quote, you prefer shareholders to decide matters, end quote. I'm Donna Water. Ten Oregon Republican senators who staged a long walkout won't be able to run for re-election, according to a higher court. Correspondent Haya Panjwani reports. The state Supreme Court said that the GOP senators who walked out to stall the legislature last year can't run for office again. They were attempting to stall bills on abortion, transgender health care, and gun rights. The court's decision upholds the Secretary of State's call to disqualify the senators from the ballot under a 2022 measure trying to stop boycotts like this, where a lawmaker can be barred from re-election if they have more than 10 unexcused absences. Five of the 10 lawmakers sued over the Secretary of State's decision. Senators Tim Knopp, Daniel Bonham, Suzanne Weber, Dennis Lindigam, and Lynn Finley. The boycott lasted six weeks, the longest in the state's history, and stalled hundreds of bills. I'm Haya Panjwani. The U.S. agency in charge of monitoring energy consumption has announced a push to measure how much energy crypto mining companies use. Chuck Palm explains in today's tech report. The U.S. Energy Information Administration has announced they will collect data on the energy use of cryptocurrency miners operating in the United States. In a press release, the agency announced it would begin a provisional survey of electricity consumption information from identified cryptocurrency mining companies. To mine new cryptocurrency requires a lot of energy and is generally described as resolving the crypto ledger and verifying its integrity. The survey scheduled to launch next week will require identified crypto mining companies to respond with details of their energy use. The EIA will also seek public comment on the collection of this data. Joe DiCarlos, EIA administrator, said we intend to continue to analyze and write about energy implications of cryptocurrency mining activities. In September, the University of Cambridge implemented a major update to its Bitcoin index, concluding that the previous calculations of Bitcoin energy consumption had been overestimated. For more tech news, visit allthetoptech.tech. I'm Chuck Palm. With Friday Sports on America in the Morning, here's Robert Workman. With pitchers and catchers reporting in just over a week, the Orioles pulled off a blockbuster trade last night, getting 2021 NL Cy Young winner Corbin Burns from the Brewers for two prospects and a draft pick. Burns has averaged more than a strikeout an inning the last four years and could become a free agent next fall. NBA, the Lakers surprised the Celtics 114-105 in Boston and without LeBron James and Anthony Davis, both sidelined with leg injuries. Austin Reeves stepped up, scoring a season-high 32 points and nailing a career-best Seven three-pointers. This is an opportunity to show the world what you can do. Tyrese Maxey celebrated making his first NBA All-Star team by throwing down 51 to lead the Sixers over the Jazz. Knicks got 40 from another first-time All-Star, Jalen Brunson, as they rally past the Pacers for their ninth consecutive win. And the Cavs beat the Grizz for their fourth straight. College basketball number six Wisconsin blew an 18-point lead and lost at Nebraska in overtime. It's the second straight year the Huskers have done that to the Badgers in Lincoln. The last seed on the NFL 
while coaching carousel has been claimed, the commanders have chosen Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, who was also head coach in Atlanta for six years. He got them to the playoffs twice, but one of those was the epic Super Bowl collapse against Tom Brady and the Patriots. That's Friday Sports. Robert Workman on sports. When we return on America in the morning, escape from the Bronx Zoo. It's not a movie. After these messages. Welcome back here with America in the Morning, heading to the movies. There's a new spy film in theaters with a comedic twist. Kevin Carr has a sneak peek at Argyle. It's not always easy to make a compelling genre film while also deconstructing that genre. Not that Matthew Vaughn doesn't give it the old college try with his new secret agent comedy, Argyle. Oh my God, you're Ellie Conway. I am such a fan. Oh yeah? What is it you do? Espionage. The film follows a popular spy novelist and her beloved cat who get whisked away into the real world of espionage when she learns her books have an uncanny connection to reality. When you wrote your new book actually happened and you kicked a hornet's nest you didn't even know existed. The movie begins with an absurd premise, then faces an uphill battle as it morphs into silliness and possibly unintentional parody with each predictable twist. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. At least the cast is strong, led by Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell. Supporting roles with Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, Samuel L. Jackson, and Henry Cavill offer some much-needed stability to the nonsensical storyline. I need her to write the next chapter. Like many movies lately, the bloated two-hour, 20-minute running time overstays its welcome, making the film drag between scenes. Even in the action sequences, it never quite reaches the pace or energy level needed for a spy thriller. God, I hate that cat. Argyle has some fun moments, and it's certainly passable, but it's also entirely forgettable. Argyle gets two and a half cat whiskers out of five. I'm Kevin Carr, and that's the way I see it. Following an incident at the Bronx Zoo in New York City, a 13-year-old Eurasian eagle owl was able to escape, but it never left the Big Apple. It's now celebrating a year of living on its own, out of zoo captivity, and is a hit with viewers online. Correspondent Julie Walker has a look. A year ago, Flacco's Central Park Zoo enclosure was vandalized, letting him fly the coop. And like so many New Yorkers, he's made a way for himself in the big city. Birder Jackie Emery has been keeping an eye on Flacco. People did not expect him to survive. And he has not only survived, he is thriving and navigating through the entire island of Manhattan as if it's his own. First, Flacco had trouble flying, even bumping into branches. Now he's navigating skyscrapers and catching rats for dinner. To see his transformation over this past year into a courageous, powerful, um, well-adapted owl has been really amazing, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. David Lay has been documenting Flacco's life on X. Any owl in New York City, and we've had a few, a good few over the past few years, is magical. People don't expect to see owls in the city. At first, the zoo tried to lure Flacco back, but then accepted his independence. Police have no updates on who freed the owl. Julie Walker, New York. That's our show for today, Friday, February 2nd, 2024. America in the Morning is produced by Jeff McKay, senior producer Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One.
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.